It's as simple as just like start off by do what you're told, show up on time, and then make an effort to be an impactful member of your team. And then watch and listen, watch, listen, and learn, and to make yourself better, like a better person in, in, in your career and as a human being. And ultimately, if you just kind of work with that mentality, your chances of success are extremely high. Like you'll do better than 99% of the people out there. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. All right, welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor. Today, I'm very excited to have my friend Ben Potts, the partner at Unfiltered Hospitality here on the show with us. He uh, has got a lot of great stories to share. So Ben, thanks for, for being on the show. Yeah, man. Thank you very much for having me. I love podcasts, love what you're doing. So great to be here. All right, Ben. Well, let's get started. Where, you know, In this industry we all love, what was your first position? How did you get into it? So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take it back a little bit even further than that. So I'm born and raised down here in Miami. Uh, I went to went to school in New Orleans. Thought I wanted to be an engineer. I love cars. So started off mechanical engineering. Realized very quickly that I wasn't quite cut out for the engineering lifestyle and switched over to business, uh, which a lot of my, yep. <laughs> my <laughs> fellow students did the same. I uh, got a degree uh, in New Orleans. Didn't know what I wanted to do. So I went and got more school, got my MBA down here at UM. And then I found out that I thought I wanted to be an investment banker. So right out of the MBA program, I uh, worked for two years in mergers and acquisitions advisory. Uh, really, really, really did not like it at all. <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> I lasted so long. And uh, basically quit, you know, I, I gave them like you know, three months notice or something like that because they didn't really want to lose me and I right. didn't know what I was going to do. And then I was like, all right, well, I think I'm going to move to Spain for the summer. That never panned out. And uh, I used to be really good friends with this guy, uh, Dan Bigowitz, who's like kind of one of my mentors. I worked for him for a long time. And before I worked for him, I was you know, his friend, still his friend. Um, and he had just let go of one of his barbacks. And I was telling him, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. He's like, uh, you want to work at Purdy? And I was like, sounds great. <laughs> so from investment banking to barback at uh, Purdy Lounge, which for those of you out there who are not familiar uh, was an establishment in Miami Beach for about 20 years. Uh, really fantastic spot. But 
not exactly where your mother thinks you're going to go work after right. financial institution. I'm, I'm interrupting you now. So <laughs> how did that happen? That conversation, right? Like, so investment banker, fancy title, everyone in their mind has an image of what it is to, I'm going to go be a bar back. At <laughs> the, listen, a great bar. I, I miss it. But, yeah. Uh, in, at that party lounge. How, how did that go? So, you know, I, I drank a lot because uh, mm-hmm. I was miserable at my job. So, I did, you know, I needed to blow off steam yep. very often. And uh, so I spent a lot of time at, at, at the lounge as a customer. And, you know, being around Dan, like meeting him and hanging out with him, I'm like, dude, your lifestyle rocks. Like you hang out at a bar all the time, meet a lot of cool people, you stay up late, whatever. Man, I would love to work here. And I, you know, I, I just kind of floated the idea to him and got my shot. <laughs> To, to get a job there. I mean, it was very hard to become a bartender at Purdy because people didn't leave, you know, like the, the, the average staff turnover was like seven years or something like that. And yeah, I mean, I really just like, I used to hang out there. And I was like, I just want to be here more often. And mm-hmm. eventually I was. So what was the first night? Do you remember the first night of like getting in there and getting Absolutely. your butt kicked? Like, what was it like? So my first real shift was the Sunday before Memorial Day. Wow. And Sundays at Purdy Lounge in general were very busy. They had chocolate Sundays. It was a great party night. And I remember being back there. So I was still in training. So they had this like legendary bar back, this guy, Kesnell. I mean, the, the guy did everything. He did not need me there. He fully had it covered. But he just walked me through like everything that he does. He's like, check the ice, check the beers, check the fruit, check the juice, get everyone anything they need, anticipate what their needs will be. If you see somebody pouring an almost empty bottle of vodka, you better be there with a, with a replacement bottle in hand, spouted, ready to go. And, mm-hmm. you know, I really took that to heart. I loved barbacking. Like, it was so much fun. And I just remember the manager at the time, this guy, Neil Lewis, big South African dude, just like halfway through the shift, I'm like sweating like you wouldn't believe. Because that was extremely inefficient. I didn't know what I was doing. It was my first job in the industry. Yeah. And it was super busy night. Purdy also got pretty hot when there were a couple hundred people in there. And, uh, you know, hauling ice and grabbing beer and running back and forth. And he just like stops me like, must have been one o'clock in the morning, bars five deep. And he's like, here, just slams a key into a PBR. <laughs> it's like, God got this. And I was like, God, this is the best. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a great first day. Yeah, it was like really cool. And I knew immediately, I was like, I want to do this for a long time. And uh, eventually I'd like to have my own bar. I don't know if it's going to be in two years or 10 years, but I want one. Well, that's where the story is going to lead us to, right? So let's get back on, on your journey. So you're barbacking. How does it continue to, to go from there? So I barbacked at Purdy, I think officially for like a year. And I, you know, I'm begging these guys, I'm like, make me a bartender, make me a bartender. And they're like, dude, if you want to be a bartender, you got to wait till someone dies or leaves. <laughs> right. That's it. Mm-hmm. I knew that even getting into the job, I was whatever, but I'm a very like eager and ambitious, I guess is the right word. Cause I'm, you know, I, I knew I could do it. Right. Like I knew I'd be a great bartender if I only got my shot, but before I was even a bartender, they made me a night manager, which is pretty crazy. So bar back night manager after four months, mostly because the GM didn't want to work on Tuesdays. 
Right. So no, this guy seems pretty smart. Let's make him a manager. We'll get him in there. Pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, that was it. And then I started like going in, like making all these spreadsheets for like liquor costs and like whatever. And they're like, we don't care about that stuff. We know we make this much a week and we know we order this much a week. And we've been doing the same thing for the last 10 years. Yeah, sure. Inventory sounds nice, but you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really not necessary when we're making a lot of money. We're like, All right. yeah. So I, I did a lot of stuff that was not asked of me and honestly not like totally appreciated not not because like they didn't appreciate me they totally valued me being there but they just like like all right dude like chill (laughs) you don't need the investment banking here yeah exactly exactly so i worked at purdy about a year and a half before i started getting antsy right so i I, after about a year i graduated a bartender from barback so i was a barback and like kind of a part-time manager while I was there the GM left and then he was replaced with another GM and then he got moved to another bar I think he went to go work at the bar in Coral Gables which he's still there as a stretch great dude awesome guy anyway like they're like well you know someone's got to do what he used to do so pots you're gonna (laughs) you're an eager beaver have fun so they basically gave me like I wasn't the GM, but like I had a lot of the responsibilities of the GM. The guy who replaced me was the GM, Aaron. He was GM there for a long time. And, uh, you know, I, I was like, man, I can do more than just like work here. This is before cocktails, right? Like right. cocktails weren't even a thing back then. Like, yeah, I mean, sour apple martinis, lemon drops, kamikazes, whatever. Those were cocktails, right? right. Shots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, your mom. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, your mom. And yeah, your mom. Woof. That was the era, man. Yeah, man, totally. Yeah, so I uh, decided it, about a year and a half in, well, actually what ended up happening was my grandmother uh, passed away, which is, you know, she's old, she's great and lived a long, wonderful life. And my mom was like, I'm like sad and bummed about your grandma. And like, honestly, I don't know where your you know life is going. You know, we were working in a dive bar. <laughs> I'm like, hey, mom, I'm happy. And she's just like, just do me a favor take a break on the drinking for a few months. And I would appreciate that. And how am I going to tell my mom? No. Mm-hmm. So I, I stopped drinking for November, December, and January. And in that time I decided that was when I was going to start running when we met um, my, right. my recruiting company. So my mother, she had run a very successful staffing agency, staffing and recruiting agency and finance and accounting. And she retired at 47. So I was like, Okay, if you teach me how to do that, I'm sure I can do it in hospitality. So yep. that's where I got the idea for Ronan. And then, uh, yeah, had my recruiting business for about a year. And then just realized, like, you know the recruiting business extremely well. Yep. <laughs> it's a bear, man. And, like, if you want to do that, very lucrative. If you don't want to do that, it, it, it's grind. a lot of work. Yeah, it's a grind. So I decided that I just I wasn't quite ready for it. I mean, I think I was, like, 24 five or 26 at the time. So pretty young and still want to have fun. I don't want to be like grinding, like doing this stuff that I like, I was pretty good at it. I mean, I had seven or eight clients that paid pretty hefty fees. So I was like pretty happy about that. But I was like, man, I want to go back to bartending. So Blackbird Ordinary had just opened up. And yeah, man, 2000, it opened December, 2011. And then I got a job there in May of 2012. And Blackbird was Awesome. That was a spot. Like the outsider, that was like where all the best bartenders were at. Like some of the bartenders yeah. were spread out across the city, but that was like concentration yeah. of you guys there. Yeah. So John Lemaire, he started that program with Dan and he hired you know, Gabe Orta and Richie Petronzi, uh, Minaz, all the pros, man. Like everybody, like the G's, like the old guys were like, that's where they all worked. Like that was like gen- first generation of cocktail bartenders in Miami that they all worked there, Florida room. They're like a bunch of ex-floor room guys. Right, that's where I met some of them when I was at Delano. 
they yeah. were in the quarter room, then they yeah. went over there, and then someone went to the W, right? A lot of the went there, yeah, living room. Mm-hmm. So I started working there while Patronzi was still there, and I remember my first shift there. It was embarrassing, but amazing. It was amazing because I, I walk up, and I'm, I'm still like, I think I'm like, hotshot bartender from Pretty Lounge, you know? Yeah, like stud, got the muscles, got the looks yeah. coming in. <laughs> yeah man and i walk up to the bar and richie knows me like we you know we're, we were friends and he like throws napping at me he's like we have pots and i was like i throw a nap and back i'm like here to start my shift and he's like all right shit no one told me but get back here mm-hmm. <laughs> so i go behind the bar i don't know anything about cocktails at this point nothing like zero and he's like teaches me the whole menu cocktail by cocktail like Man, that guy, I, I have to say that Rich Petrangi was probably the most underrated bartender because he was incredible. Like, I love that guy. He was very good at what he did. And he taught me everything, like, not, not everything, but quite a lot. And I remember that first night, I'm sitting there, pile of cash, just counting it. And he's like, Pots, this is when I learned the golden ratio, right? Two, one, one. He's like, every cocktail, man, every sour, that's the bulk of the cocktails that you're going to make here in Miami. It's two parts spirit, one part sweetener, one part citrus, and boom. That's the base for every cocktail you're ever going to need to make. And I was like, holy shit. That's it. I mean, that's even like that moment inspired me. Like even part of the Unfiltered logo for our consulting business, like has the the F for a formula. And it was that moment that I realized in life, there are just so many things that once you realize the formula for it, you get it all. And right. so, yeah, that, that's really awesome. where I learned that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So you're, you're in there at Blackbird. You yep. get past your first shift realizing you don't know anything about cocktails. Nothing. And then you start growing in there, right? How I was always curious. I was never a great bartender. Like I was okay. I could do a couple things behind the bar, but not like you guys. I was like, wow, look at these guys creating stuff. Yeah. What was it like for you all in that spot? Because for those listening, what was like 2012, downtown Miami wasn't really much of anything, right? Brickles yeah, wasn't blowing up yet. And so people would come see you. What was it like working at that place once you got the hang of it? Yeah, it was really cool, man. So there were very few cocktail destinations in Miami. It was like, I don't, I think Florida was on sort of a hiatus, but it was basically like Broken Shaker or Blackbird. Like that was pretty much it. I mean, there were yeah. obviously other places. There were some hotels that had some good programs, but if you wanted to go to like Fun Bar and go grab a great cocktail, it was like those two. And I actually, well, while I started at Blackbird, I actually was also hired at the Broken Shaker. And Dan mm-hmm. was like, you got to pick. <laughs> I remember you were at both at one point. And I was like, yeah. wow, look at this. Yeah, yeah. It, it was like really very brief. It was like maybe two or three a weeks. A couple months, yeah. Yeah, and, and Dan was like, yeah, you got to pick. Like, you, you were either dedicated to us or you're going to go over there. And I was like, well, I mean, I love it, I love it here. And I, it's, it's a lot of fun. And I've been working with Dan. You know, I worked for Dan on and off eight years or something. And I was like, well, Blackbird it is. Uh, but it was cool, man. Like people, they would come in and test you and like, can you make me this? Like, make me a twist on that. It was really cool and a lot of fun. Just like having sort of like getting tried and like trying to get better so you can do better. It was a really cool part of the process. And Back then, Fraser Hamilton, who's you know a bar manager at Suite, right before he went back to Scotland, he was running the program there, and what an awesome dude! And just like working side by side with him, I mean, a blast. I mean, that guy is an amazing bartender, right? Knows everything, mm-hmm. best bar personality you can imagine, and you know he's got a funny accent, so it's. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool. So, when did you decide to leave there? What kind of triggered that? So my childhood friend, Brian Massajohn, who's my 
the chef and, and partner at uh, Beaker and Gray. Right. He was working at Sushi Samba. He was the executive chef for South Beach and then also was the executive chef for uh, Coral Gables when they had both locations. And he just got super burned out. I mean, the dude was working like 80, 90 hours. Yeah. It was insane. And he just were packed and they were packed. Yeah. All the time. Cranking. Lincoln Road was made. Dumb. What happened to Sushi Samba? Just closed down? Like, I was just wondering, it was like disappeared. I think they just jacked the rent up on Lincoln Road. I know, like, Coral Gables, like, was, like, a little bit of an issue. I remember talking to Maxie about it. And he's like, yeah, man, they made us do, like, breakfast, lunch, and dinner because it was in a hotel. And, yeah, we couldn't ha- – we weren't, like, set up for it. And it's very unprofitable when you have to open for three-day parts. And if you don't have people in there, it's, it's very difficult. So – And, yeah, sorry. Off track. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so he quit and decided – he's like, I want to open my own place. And – He's like, do you want to run the bar? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, man, sure. Never worked at a restaurant, never been a bar manager, but I definitely want to be your business partner and bar manager of a restaurant that we open together. <laughs> I remember this clear because at that time I was trying to recruit you and I don't think I ever told you this, but like the Miami New Times put out like top 10 bartenders in the city. Yeah. And I sat down with the general manager at the, the, the resort in Doral and I said, we're going to get one of these guys. And yeah. we went through and I was like, this one looks a little too rough. Uh-huh. Ben Potts, he's in top 10, clean cut, got the smile. We'll get him here. Yeah. I remember walking with you and you're like, thanks, man, but I'm going to open my own place. And I was like, all right, sure you are, man. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. That's So that that article, funny enough, like that was a very defining moment in my career. It's funny. So Lady Doss wrote that article. And I think that came out in 2013 or 20, I think 2013. And basically... I had a friend who was working at Eater. I think it was Chelsea Olson who, I, don't, I think she's working on an app right now, but she worked for Eater and she wrote an article on like top five bartenders, whatever. And I, yeah. and I was friends with her. So she put me on the list. And it was like me and Hillary and Gabe Warta. Like it was Gabe Analyde by as one person. Yes. Which yeah. they, they did on like everything. <laughs> it's just like those two. And then Lainey did a top 10 and pulled a lot of the people. Well, I mean, there were only so many bartenders to go around. She pulled, so that list begot this a bigger list of the top 10 new times. Like that article was like a pretty big one. And from that moment on, I got a lot of recognition for just being like a major influencer in the bartending community in Miami. Right. And then every single cocktail competition that came after that was like, you want to judge? I'm like, hell yeah, I do. Every one yeah. of them, man. It was, it was great. Yeah. So like once the people recognize you in a certain light, it could just elevate you. To a different stratosphere totally i'm i'm forever in Lainey's debt so anytime she ever asks me for a quote on this or something on that i'm like anything you want lady i got you so you teamed up so you leave blackbird you say all right i'm opening my own place yep and i'm curious about this just selfishness i've never done that right yeah i've never opened my own place what was that like because you were opening one of the first real restaurants in winwood like yep. you were one of the first guys mm-hmm. what was that like it, well let me tell you i've opened yeah. three well, it depends on how you count, but I've opened three different concepts, uh, Beaker being the first one. It sucks. It is long. It's hard. It's expensive. Mm-hmm. A lot of unknowns, a lot of hoops to jump through. It's not fun. There are parts of it that are exciting and interesting and, and fruitful, but at the end of the day, it is, it is a tough process. So we started the project, man, it must've been like 2015, I think. And I think we ultimately ended up opening, I think we opened in, I think 2015, it would have been, yeah, December, 2015. And we started the project in 2014. So we had begun the project, like, 
I think it all took, took us almost 18 months to get open. At 2014, yeah. I remember looking back in my notes. That's what you started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always like, uh, it's a little blurry. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. So, yeah, we started, I mean, we, it was nothing. It wasn't, it was previously a warehouse. So converting a, re, a, a warehouse into a restaurant is quite a process, both from zoning regulations and liquor license. We had to get like a special exception on our liquor license just to be able to do it. So I was working at Blackbird while trying to open Beaker, but not really a lot for me to do until you have to start setting up, picking out the equipment and making your spirits list, hiring mm -hmm. a team. And it, it took so long that I quit Blackbird prematurely. Like I was like, hey, we're opening in like two months. And I don't think we opened for at least a year after that. So I ended up going from Blackbird to the Broken Shaker, which is where I worked with my business partner. And man, working at the Shaker that year, that, that was a the year they won everything. Spirit Awards, the Tails, they won. I, I, don't, I don't I think that might have been also the year they were like number 14 on 50 best. Um, yeah, in the world, not the city. Like the yeah, 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 50 best in the world. And it, it was such a badass team. Like we had so much fun working there. I, I mean, a lot of my friends, obviously still friends with today, uh, we all worked together at the Shaker and that was like, that was like its prime. And that was even more of that whole kind of like bartenders coming in from like New York, like Death & Co, like bartenders like coming up ordering like a, an Algonquin cocktail. I'm like what the shit is an Algonquin cocktail? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's rye, dry vermouth and pineapple juice. That's disgusting. Like why are you just bringing that to make me mad? Yeah. But yeah, man, that was a lot of fun. So I worked at the Shaker for about eight months and just learned so much. I mean, it, like I'm gaming a lot. I mean, those guys have put together the incredible legacy. I mean, the Shaker's now Miami, New York, Chicago, LA, uh, and all their like other concepts that are around them. So, and it's not a big bar, right? Like I remember going there the first time it's like a hole in the wall bar, but like a cool patio. So I was always like, man, this place is top 50 in the world. And it's like a hole in the wall at a hostel. Yeah. Yeah. On Miami beach. And <laughs> this is where everyone's coming. And it just shows you if you get the right people in a room, yep. anything can happen. What was the biggest difference between there and Blackbird ordinary? Cause I always wondered, I didn't get to ask you that before. So it, it's funny you ask because it's it, it, very different, right? So Blackbird is like full-blown party bar, just yes. like rager, shots, like whatever. But like still, I would say 30% of the drinks we made over, overall were mm -hmm. cocktails, right? right? So like either menu cocktails, classics, twist, whatever, like bartender's choice. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was badass you know like crank coming from like blackbird where i like that place made tons of money that's i mean still does but uh i remember going to the shaker and again like i don't know how, like why my first days are always on sundays <laughs> but <laughs> i i had zero training shifts i i get it was like it was another like holiday sunday i don't think it was memorial day but it was like labor day or something like that so people were drinking and they're like at service bar because Virginia King, she, she was like, I want to go to a party or something like pots can work for me. Like he knows what he's doing. And me furious with her. It's like, didn't approve it, but it ended up happening anyway. And they put me on service and I'm sitting there and it's 90% cocktails. Like you get a beer like every like 30 minutes. On service. <laughs> you know? It was like crazy. And I remember like there and I'm like following the spec and the bar was, it was set up well. It was yeah, pretty decent, but if you had to get the watermelon juice, like you'd be in well one and you'd have to go over to well three to get it. It's a big bar, but like still taking five steps to get watermelon juice at a place where a quarter of the cocktails have watermelon juice. 
It's kind of a bear. So yeah, and that it was unbelievable. And then everyone, like my friends are there, like messing with me. It's hot. Like that little room. It's hot in there. So hot. And this was like toward the end of summer or something like that. And then I remember uh, Gabe pulling me aside and being like, what are you doing here? Like middle of the shift. Like I'm like 20 tickets deep. What are you doing here? And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, what are you doing? Like at the shaker, I know you're opening your own place. I know you just came from Blackbird. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, uh, a little weird for you to be asking me that right now. But I mean, honestly, man, I'm here to learn. I'm here to learn and I'm here to contribute. So I think that's uh, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the truth, right? There are some things that I'm good at that you guys could probably learn from me. And there's a ton of things that you guys are great at that I can learn from you. And that's, that's really how I approached it. And I had a great time, man. I worked very closely with Guy. Like we remapped all the wells, watermelon juice in every well, you know, stuff like that. But yeah, it was a pretty cool experience, man. I have to say. How did you do the transition to opening? Did you always know you were going to be going back to opening Beaker and Gray? Yeah. 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 Like that was the plan. Yeah, that was like, I even getting the job, I told Guy, I was like, yo, I'm going to do this place in, I don't know, six months, and then it came nine months, and it became a year. But yeah, then eventually we finally started moving forward, and the bar that I designed came in, and then like all the glassware I picked out came in. I mean, I remember like picking glassware out, like my girlfriend at the time, like just sitting at her uh, at her kitchen table, and just being like, oh, that one, I had the samples, it was crazy. It was, it was a very interesting experience, because I never opened a bar, so... Yeah. I'm like guessing. And luckily I was able to hire Fraser at the time because he had left Blackbird for some reason. And uh, I mean, he was massive help, like bouncing ideas off him, getting like feedback on like my decisions and always having somebody like, is that, did, did I, am I doing the right thing? And he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, you could. So it was very interesting and a uh, huge learning experience. I mean, opening, opening a bar, like the bar aspect of a restaurant is, is very interesting. And then like even learning what like, where it's like working with a kitchen. That's true. You never worked in a place that had a kitchen. Never. I mean, Shaker had that tiny oh, little small thing off the side. They made like five different menu items. And one of them was jerky and then, I don't know, a burger. Yes. So yeah, I, was, I had to learn all that stuff from like the ground up. And it was... It was I didn't think about that because Beaker and Gray, for everyone out there listening, is like, it's really, the bar is a star in the room, but it's a true food concept. Like you go there for the food and the drinks complement it really well. Right. I think they're both stars, but like you said you had a strong chef. You had a great, you had a big dining room. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful space. Yeah, man. So anyhow, so day, the day starts coming. You're going to opening day, right? Do you, were you ready opening day or was it still like I've done some openings in hotels and we're never ready? Dude, listen to this. So we're like, I don't know, 18 month build out or something insane. And of course, our opening week is our puzzle. <laughs> oh man. Of course. What's the worst possible week to open? Our puzzle. Opening our puzzle, you know? We did it smart. We did it smart. We had a general manager at the time, Ben Applebaum, but he had a lot, a lot of corporate experience, very smart dude. And we were like sitting around just terrified of what's going to happen. You know, we're waiting for our like TCO and the cities, like sure, next week, my liquor order. My liquor order came in like the day before we opened. So like the back bar beaker and gray is about 400 bottles. Right. So I had to order those 400 bottles plus all the backups. And I had to guess, like, I don't know what people are going to drink here. Mm-hmm. We, we did it smart in that we did a much smaller food and drink menu than when we fully opened. Right. right. So it was, I think it was like 10 food items and four cocktails. 
you know, something achievable. Yeah, very soft opening. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't even think we had friends and family. Like, I think we just went right into it, which is horrible. But we, we pulled through. I mean, to be honest, like, I'm, I'm very impressed with how we pulled it together, considering we didn't have a lot of things working in our favor. But uh, yeah, it was it was wild. We were packed and we were like, thank God. You know, because you open a restaurant, you, you don't know. Sometimes it's a hit and sometimes it's a bomb. Hopefully people like it and they get it. And we were opening something very like, you know, it's a small plates concept. Not that those are not, or shared plates concept. Like not that those are not common, but it's not traditional. You know, it's not like a brasserie or like an Italian restaurant, something like that, where you kind of know what you're doing. We had globally inspired shareable plates. Yeah, but you guys opened and you crushed it. I remember the reviews came in good. I went, I think two weeks after it opened to check it out or three weeks and you guys, it was awesome. And I went back a bunch. Yeah. Like, I got to go back again and support more the kids that I had. Uh, two kids makes it hard, but I'll be yeah. back out there soon. So yeah. you guys do great, right? And then how are you feeling? Because you were in there. You were working the bar. I remember seeing you working. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I bartended one or two days a week just because I think it's kind of important for a bar manager that at least at the beginning to like have a couple shifts behind the bar because they got to, you got to know if everything's working properly. Like are the garnishes in the right place? Can I reach everything? Are the tools should they be on the left or the right? Is the glassware, is it enough? Is there enough storage for it? Are the beers easy to access? Do we have enough places to put beer? Do we have too many places to put beer? Whatever. And so I was, yeah, I was bartending a couple times a week and then also running the bar, hiring the team, like hiring, training, scheduling. Some restaurants, the GM kind of manages the liquor costs for whatever reason. And now I had to do everything, build my own spreadsheets. Well, you knew it though. You were ready. Purdy got you trained. <laughs> So from there, though, you start opening more concepts, right? So yeah. you have some success there, or not some, a lot of success. And then what does that lead to? So I think at about the two-year market beaker, I finally, like everything's kind of like settled down. Consistently busy. Everything's good. Profitability's good. We've got our staffing down. Our product is like really like dialed in. And we go through, we're like really hitting our stride. And then boom, Zika. And they drew that big red oh. box, boom, beaker, you know? <laughs> and so I, uh, yeah, that was crazy. Our sales were decimated. I think we were doing 50% or 40% of our typical sales volume. We didn't know how long it was going to last. We didn't know if it was going to be two months, two years. Yeah, no. I remember watching the planes that were like dropping the spray across windows. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What like a movie before all this COVID stuff happened. That was like the big one. Like, yeah, yeah. It's like we thought Zika was bad, right? Yeah, for a couple blocks, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was so two months, and then right after Zika, we got a call from I guess our realtor or like the guy who had helped us with our lease at, at Beaker. He's like, "Yo, Gigi and Bardo are for sale," and we're like, "What? For real?" <laughs> and obviously, at the time, Gigi and Bardo were massively popular. I was there all the time. Yeah, yeah, me too, for better or worse. And uh, we're like, okay, well, like, let's check it out. So we go in, we do like a walkthrough of the spaces. I don't know what had happened. Like a mirror just kind of, I'm not sure, right? Like that. there's a lot of speculation, but, you know, I'm not one to talk. I don't know the situation. So it was for sale. Right. And it was really just take over the lease. It wasn't like we didn't have to, there was no key money or anything like that. So we're just like, all right, let's just go in there and like figure out like what we're going to do. And so we came up with two concepts, Mason, which was an all day deli, uh, deli diner and Boombox, which was kind of like in my head, 
I had always envisioned it as sort of like a cleaner pretty. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good way to explain. It. I didn't think about that. Yeah. And that's how, and that's how I kind of designed it. You know, like I got yeah. the same DJs. The decor was pretty stark. I just, cause I was like, man, this place is going to crank. I'm like, for sure. And so we opened Mason and first, because uh, it was easier. It was already, we, we ran into some zoning issues with Boombox, but ultimately got those resolved. But Mason opened first. We opened Mason, you know, great friends and family. It was going very well. And then no one came. They didn't get it. They didn't like it. Well, I don't know. It's like one of those things that you just kind of have no idea. I mean, the food was solid. I mean, Brian was a chef. He makes great food. Mm-hmm. And so he made what he thought people would like. I mean, I thought people, why not? All day diner sounds great. But it was, it was you know, it was an expensive diner, right? It wasn't like cheap, you know, diners are cheap. But yeah. it, was, it was like cheap food made nice. <laughs> and we weren't really sure what was going on. We're like, let's try again. So we shut it down and we're like, let's reopen at the same time as Boombox. But Mason, we're going to change it. We're going to twist on American classics. And that was going to be our, that was going to be our thing. And more like dinner oriented, right? Like a place where you can go have a nice meal. You changed the name or you kept the name the same? Kept the name. Kept the name. And honestly, I think if we would have changed the name, we... Maybe, yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows, right? Yeah. And also the neighborhood changed. Like that area used to be like one of the few places you would go, but then Winwood just... Took off. Loaded. Yeah. So it was less like Midtown in general, like not... Midtown, like in the mall area where like Sugarcane is, because like Sugarcane was dominating for so long. Midtown became slightly less popular and then the streets surrounding it. But uh, yeah, we decided to change the concept to that and relaunched it in conjunction with Boombox, which we had our like grand opening and it was pretty grand. Like it was cool. A bunch of people came out. Everyone had a good time. I mean, obviously open bar for four hours. People were going to have a good time. Yeah. <laughs> Of course. I remember seeing it in the news, like people were going and yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then no one came. <laughs> people didn't like it. They didn't like Boombox. And, you know, looking back on it, I don't really blame them. It wasn't like, you know, what are you there for? We didn't focus that hard on the cocktails. Service was good. You know, we had great bartenders, great team, uh, great management, but they didn't like the look, they didn't like the feel and no one came. So after about four months, we ended up I was like, we got to do something different. We have to try something new. And like, I remember arguing with my mom about it. She's like, no, honey, just stick it out. It's going to be fine. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, no, no, you don't get it. People are not coming. This sucks. Like this concept is not working. We got to change. Right. So at that point, we decided to kind of throw in the towel on a, on Mason so we could really focus on boombox what was to become sylvester when, when do you make that decision right that's a hard decision to make like you have ultra success with beaker and gray yeah right? then you're sitting in the mason i'm sure i can imagine it like you guys are sitting there man it's just not adding Dude. up it was just like that's it what an ego check i'm like again like yet another time in my life where I'm like, oh yeah man like oh beaker and gray i'm so cool i can do anything i want and then boom fail mm-hmm. <laughs> So, but at Boombox, I don't really know what it was, but I remember being like, man, I really just got to be, you know, true to who I am. Like, I do care about cocktails and I do want it to be a beautiful place. And what do I love? I love Miami. I love Florida. It's the best. And so I'm like, let me create a bar that pays homage to the city that I love so much. And so 
for a while we were kind of back and forth on the name. Ultimately, we settled on the Sylvester because the Sylvester is a pet palm tree. And to be honest, there aren't a ton of Sylvester palms in, in mm-hmm. Florida, but you know, they're around. You'll see them. And so I remember I even created like a mock-up of the logo, which looks a lot like the logo we ultimately settled on, obviously, because it looks like the thing that I designed. But yeah, we decided we're like, we're gonna do great cocktails, we're gonna do great service, we're gonna have a little bit of food. And we're just going to, we're going to create like an environment that you actually want to spend time in, like a living room, like a badass living room with like great drinks. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we shut down uh boombox right after my music week. Not that we made any money and we closed for about 40 days. Like it was a very fast turnaround, put up the wallpaper, paint. We had already bought all the furniture threw it all in there, created a cocktail menu. I hired, uh, you know, Derek Stillman, uh, who's legendary Miami bartender. He's over at, um, four seasons now at uh, champagne bar mm-hmm. and, uh, it created like a very cool menu and it was awesome. He really did a great job. And when we reopened, I mean, I remember like our first week I was like, Oh, no one's coming. And then just slowly, but surely people started coming. And then before you knew it, we were doing sales on a Friday that were better than any boombox week. So that's awesome. We're like, oh, dude, we got it. We got it this time. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it worked out. So yeah. That's awesome, man. See, just a little little recheck and, and get it going again. Totally. In the Mason space, never, nothing ever happened with that, right? It's still yeah. sitting there, I think, right? No, it's uh, so uh, it's, There's something. Uh, now I drove by it the other day. Yeah, it's 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 a restaurant, like a Thai tapas place called Dayak. It's the guys from Bonding, I think. Yeah, it's cool. It's pretty good food. Uh, I dig it. I go there every once in a while. I order, order it in. No, I, I want a diner place, and I see them just not working. Like Winkers just went out of business, right? Yeah, I should have called Dude. Don't do the diner. <laughs> in my head, it would work here, right? Like, I just want a great deli, and you can't really find it anywhere. Like, Danny Surfer's got his, you know, blue collar kind of doing it, but it's small space, right? And yeah. yeah. Anyhow, well, so we get back to where you're at now. So you are working. Now you've got a new project coming yeah. up. Tell yeah. me about Unfiltered Hospitality. I remember you called me when you were thinking about it. And yeah. It was like, tell me what how it started. What's going on now? So... As uh, we all know, uh, about a year after opening the Sylvester, when we're really, again, like going, we're catching our stride, boom, COVID. <laughs> and it was like, dude, can I catch a break? Like, I, yeah. when I started finance, I started in 2007, 2008. Like, it could not have been a worse time to be in crash. Yeah. So you've been punched in the face a couple of times, man. <laughs> dude, it's brutal. <laughs> But yeah, so COVID. And so obviously Sylvester got shut down. Beaker got shut down. Uh, no idea what was going to happen. So I just, for, for the first couple months, I was just taking a break, to be honest. Like I think a lot of us did. And I didn't know what I was going to you know do. You know, I was like, oh, that's cool. My whole career is just like closed. <laughs> closed wow. in the yeah. future. And uh, I think after a while, we tried to go with Beaker, but the food doesn't really travel well. And we were just like, you know what? Let's just chill out. And eventually we'll be able to open up again. It'll be fine. But Sylvester closed. Like we had to close for an entire year. But about two, two, three months in, I start getting antsy. And uh, this guy, Wayne, who's like, he works, he just left Thompson Hospitality and does uh, glassware and front house stuff. And he shoots me over like someone's random post from uh, Salau, which is like a Cuban restaurant on Calle Ocho. 
he's like some dude's looking for like cocktail consulting. And I was like, yeah, I've done it a couple of times. Like he and I did, we did a Steven Star restaurant like 2015 or something like that. A couple other like small projects here and there, but I never really like, it wasn't my bread and butter. It was just kind of like extra like side money because it was like, I, I know what I'm doing. I know how to do it. So we like go meet with the Salau guys and they're like, yeah, we'll hire you. We'll pay your fee. And consulting fees are generous. They're very, they're, I mean, obviously it's hard work. So hard, hard work costs money and they pay for expertise and time and all that stuff. And, you know, I think maybe like two weeks into the project, I'm like, dude, like you're not working at SBE anymore. So Guy, after leaving Shaker and running all the Shakers nationwide uh, from Bar Lab, uh, he left and went to Generator for a short time. And then eventually SBE, where he was the global director of bars, which is a pretty cool position. Yeah, it's great. And, yeah. Uh, but he wasn't like into it. And like, I, like in February of that year of 2019, he left. But so he was just like kind of, or 2020. And he was like, I don't know what he was doing, nothing. So I was like, no, I'm like, dude, you want to work on this project? Start working on it. And I was like, dude, do you want to give this a go? I mean, let's try to make a business out of this. Like, who knows? Like maybe right. we can do something cool. And, and then finally we hang our shingle and, and everyone's like, yeah you're hired. And then people just kept reaching out and like, we need consulting work and different projects kept coming our way. And we, it was amazing. And we noticed that a lot of other people who we worked for, it was like kind of the same problem. They'd be like, come in, give us a cocktail menu, train our staff. And then that staff you train are going to leave. <laughs> and then you have <laughs> cocktails and no one's going to make them. Mm -hmm. uh, regardless of how many like materials and training sheets and whatever that we leave behind. So we're like, man, we got to make it. You, we are, so our, like our motto or slogan is make experience better. And then the idea is to make the hospitality experience better, like from staff to guests, right? Like with the whole way through, because great staff, guests are going to have a great experience. You don't have great staff without great systems. And so that was kind of like the foundation of the, of the company. And we were like, all right, so let's like actually teach these guys like how to do their jobs better. So we created a, uh, a course called uh, Better Menu Maker, uh, which like, you know, it's, it's, it's still there. We don't really run it. We ran it like four times. It, it's an amazing course of like in-depth, like this is how from start to finish, you make your own cocktail menu. Like stop hiring us to make your cocktail menu. I'm gonna teach you guys how to make your own badass cool. cocktail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a cool course. I mean, I think we're probably gonna do like a self-guided one because it was like a group coach thing. So we would get like a group of eight people, they'd sign up for the course. And then every week we'd have a call to discuss the, the lecture of the week, which is all videotaped. And it's a, it's a collection of tools and lectures and support material that, that goes through every step of the process. And so we discuss it on a weekly basis and it was cool. We had some like really great students, some really awesome menus came out of it. Like I remember our, one of our first clients for many better menu makers, some dude who randomly found us like out of Sacramento, California, this guy Enrique and Kike is the man, like he's got two Mexican concepts. He had a good idea of what he was doing, but like really just wanted to elevate like his right. knowledge and experience and took the course and made a banging cocktail menu, like had it marketed, like crushed it. And, you know, since we started it, I think we've probably put through about 20, somewhere between 20 and 30 uh, students since we started it. But education has always been such a massive component of Unfiltered. Mm -hmm. And we recently, oh, I actually have it right here. I have our uh, first trademark, Better Bar Method. We created a course in conjunction with FIU, School of Hospitality, and yep. uh, Bacardi Teach. Uh, which is now rebranding to something else, but we created a course for them, which is, should be launching in, I don't know, probably a couple months. We have a meeting this week coming up, 
but that is a bar management course. So we go through the four pillars of, of like what we teach, which is like all the foundational aspects like your checklists and your order guides and everything. So you have a nice solid structure. And then when you have that structure, then you can work on the people, which, you know, how to hire, how to inspire, how to train, how to retain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just made that up. I'm going to, I'm going to do, I'm going to say that for, how to hire, how to train, and how to retain. I love it, man. Yeah. Write it down right now. Yeah, right. And then that, and then from people to product. So you can't have a good product if you don't have great people, and you can't have great people without a very solid structure. Right. So the product is like, you know, that's more about like the, you know, creating cocktail menu, making sure you have the right products for your right demographic, and really being thoughtful about like what you choose and why, and understanding like your capabilities and like your, the level of your staff and your own. Do are like if you're making cocktails for someone, they don't care. Don't make cocktails. And then finally, performance. Like yeah, if you don't measure it, how you know what, how well you're doing. So those four pillars, and we teach that throughout the course. And then that course, if you take all four of those, that actually will convert. You get badges, and those badges are convertible for actual college credit. So it's an accredited program. It's amazing. Kind of like through a weird loophole. So it's pretty dope. Right. Like if you're a student and you want to learn, who else better to learn from than you guys have actually been in it, created world-class places that actually survived and do well. That's who to learn from versus some random dude who says he knows how to make them. Right. Exactly. Yeah. We can be like, yeah, we got a course at FIU, you know, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's anybody can take it. So like students and not like non-FIU students, it's all like through their online school hospitality. Like I think they have the biggest online, one of the biggest online programs in the world. Like it's massive, tons and tons of students. So. so I know we're running out of time here with you and I love that you've taken so much time with us, but one last question. If you had someone starting out that wants to be a bartender now, right? They want to follow in your footsteps what would you tell them to do? Like they want to be a top tier, top one, not even 1%, you're 0.01% in the world. How can they get to your level? So we, we he and I actually have a course. We did a little bit of uh, college speaking for a while. And one of them was not the, like how to survive a career in hospitality. Mm-hmm. And what we teach is like, it's not about surviving, right? Surviving is like getting enough water so you don't die. Thrive <laughs> out there, guys. Exactly. It's all about thriving. And, and really what it comes down to is like, it's as simple as just start off by do what you're told, show up on time, and then make an effort to be an impactful member of your team. And then watch and listen, watch, listen, and learn, and to make yourself better in your career and as a human being. And ultimately, if you just kind of work with that mentality, your chances of success are extremely high. Like you'll do better than 99% of the people out there. So uh, I, that's sort of the key takeaway of that is just make sure that you're approaching it with the right mentality of like really learning and just doing great. I love it, man. I think that's a great place to finish this. Where can people find you? If they want to get in contact with you, where can we send them? Sure. I mean, uh, you can find that you can go to unfilteredhospital.com. Shoot this message to contact us and find me on Instagram. You can find both of us on Instagram. Uh, Unfiltered Hospital is our, our Instagram handle. Uh, you can find me, Ben Potts, Ben Potts, pretty easy. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a very easy person to come, come, get in touch with. I, I mean, go to benpots.com, you know, like five ways to talk to me. <laughs> well, brother, I know we could have talked another hour about all the stuff, uh, you know, two Miami boys talking about some of the history of the coolest spots. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it very much. And we got to get a drink with you very soon. But thanks again for being on the podcast. And we'll talk to you soon, everybody.